Hello and welcome to the first episode of Square One, the official podcast of the Down to Earth Institute with me, Todd Olive, and my fellow co-founder at Down to Earth, Manveer Gill. Hello. We'll be coming to you every fortnight to debate and discuss the issues of today, including the latest from Down to Earth and in sustainability news. Today, we're starting off by asking, what does sustainability mean to you? Over to you, Manveer. Sustainability... You know, it's it's one of these things that it's so complex. It's it's a little bit mysterious. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people have definitely, you know, we've all heard of the word, but I think, I think the reason why it's so difficult is because fundamentally it's about everything. It's about making the world a better place for everyone now and in the future. We can't live life without factoring in how we impact the world around us as well as the impact we'll have on the future generations. So that's why we need to be sustainable. And uh, that's why it matters to me. And Todd, I'd like to know, what does sustainability mean to you? So I think sustainability, um, I, I hesitate to use the phrase fixing the world. Um, but at, at the end of the day, um, I think we see in all walks of life that, that the way we live, certainly in the global north, um, is is broken. Um, we we see environmental degradation of, of colossal scale. We see questions of, of social justice that come at us from from practically every corner, um, and and it's abundantly clear that the economic systems that we have, for for whatever reason, depending on kind of your your perspective and your political views, they don't work. Um, sustainability, to me is about solving all of those questions. Um, and even though it sounds a little bit cliche, um, I think at the end of the day, sustainability really means constructing a, a world or reconstructing a world um, that is the best for everyone. And, uh, you know, I think it's going to be interesting to think about how we can go about constructing that world. So, um, well, that's what we're hoping to do uh, at, at the Down to Earth Institute. Absolutely, absolutely. Realising sustainability, one of our six headline categories in the sustainability gateway. That's the, the central feature of our work at the Down to Earth Institute, of course. Um, and we'll be looking there at all of the different kind of techniques and, and things we need to bear in mind when we're going out there and implementing um, sustainability and trying to deal with some of the, the global challenges that we'll be looking at. Fantastic. OK, um, we'd love to hear your views if you've got anything um, that you think we've missed. Um, when it comes to, to what sustainability really means, um, please do get in touch with us on, on social media or, or through our website. We'd, we'd love to hear from you. Um, in the meantime, though, uh, we're going to move on to news, sustainability news. Manveer, what, what is it that's, that's caught your eye in the last couple of weeks in, in the sustainability sphere? Well, I mean, we all know about the, the need for, for, for us to decarbonize, particularly with uh, with climate change uh, being one of the main environmental stories that uh, that grips us, but we have some good news. And in the first half of 2020, for the first time ever, Europe generated more electricity from renewables than from fossil fuels, and that's just well, you know, it's it, it's great news. But I think we need to be a little bit careful uh, how how happy we are about that because it. It only really was possible due to the coronavirus crisis actually dropping that demand in energy that perhaps drived um, fossil fuels being being the, the leading source in the first place. 
do you, do you think the coronavirus crisis offers us an opportunity to kind of rethink the way that, that we live our lives? Or, or do you think we're going to see a, a resumption of, of business as usual uh, over the next few months? Well, you know, I'd like to be optimistic. I think that there is a real opportunity here, particularly given that we have been forced to reorganize the way we live our lives, our societies as a whole. And so I think we've definitely learned a lot in that process. And you would hope that we'd be able to take that forward in how we plan and how we how we actually want to try and decarbonize. But I, I am I am cautious um, and a little bit skeptical because I think um, it's it's not hard for us to go back to business as usual. Uh, so, yeah. That's uh, that's what I think. And how about yourself? Uh, well, so in in the in the last couple of days, I think one of the the biggest, most important stories I've seen so far this year, actually, um, is that the state of Michigan in in the United States has agreed to pay six hundred million dollars uh, worth of compensation to victims, primarily children, of the Flint water crisis. For those that don't know, uh, Flint is a, a city in in Michigan um, where forty percent of of residents live live in poverty. It's a primarily um, African American city as well. Um, and in 2014, in, in a, a mission to save money, um, it switched its water supply away from Detroit system uh, and, and was drawing its water from the Flint River. Um, now, a, a side effect that apparently nobody saw coming of this um, was the, the degradation and corrosion of the city's water pipes, which led to a huge scale of, of lead poisoning. Um, and, and as we know, lead poisoning primarily affects children. It can, it, particularly under five, uh, it can prevent um, proper proper brain development and cause a huge range of health problems. Um, and for years, campaigners have, have been campaigning for um, campaigners have been seeking justice um, for the, the the wrongdoing that that was. Um, that was made by by the city's officials um, last year. Prosecutors dropped all criminal charges against officials awaiting trial over the crisis, um, saying a, a more thorough investigation was needed. So there's been a huge outcry recently um, for for justice for the victims of of the decision made by officials to switch the water supply. And this this six hundred million dollars of, of compensation, again primarily going to children, uh, represents a, a huge step forward. I think um, in terms of of achieving. Um, social justice in this case um, so that's the that's the big story that that um, has, has caught my attention over the last couple of weeks um, in other news um, Turkey's uh, president Ergodan has uh, has hailed a huge natural gas find uh, in the the Black Sea going going against that that uh, good news that Manviz just brought us <laughs> regarding uh, the the climate crisis um, and another country perhaps looking to to continue the use of, of fossil fuels um, into well into the future. Um, the, the discovery itself was around 320 billion cubic meters um, of gas, which is Turkey's biggest natural gas find to date, according to President Togadan. Um, a little bit closer to home, the government has, has announced as of yesterday that the eviction ban is to be extended by four weeks. So that means that tenants in England and Wales who've fallen behind on their rent as a result of the coronavirus, coronavirus crisis uh, will be protected for another four weeks. Uh, and in most cases now, in, a, in an additional policy change until the end of March, renters will get six months notice if their landlord plans to evict them. Uh, meaning obviously a huge benefit in terms of 
of relocation and softening, softening the blow um, of, of potential evictions in, in, in an attempt to, to mitigate the homelessness crisis that, that uh, Labour Party figures have been warning of in recent weeks. Um, though perhaps unsurprisingly, Labour has, has criticised this as not going far enough. Uh, and indeed, the former Conservative Party Community Secretary, Lord Pickles, uh, has told the BBC that periodic extensions were pointless and argued that the ban should in fact be extended into next spring. In other news, across the pond, local officials in Florida have approved the release of 750 million mosquitoes that have been genetically modified to reduce local populations by preventing females of the species from growing up. The aim, of course, is to reduce the number of mosquitoes that carry diseases like dengue or the Zika virus in the local area. Many groups have condemned the plan uh, as having unintended consequences, with one group describing it as a public Jurassic Park experiment. In Greenland, scientists have determined that last year um, ice loss accelerated to a million tonnes a minute, breaking the previous record by 15%. The new analysis says that the scale of the melt is unprecedented in records dating back to 1948. So some more bad news uh, for those of you there, for all of us, in fact, invested in the climate crisis. That's the news. Thanks for that, Todd, for that breakdown of the recent news. And now I'd quite like to take us to, well, actually, it's your blog post. Uh, This is the first of hopefully many to come in a series of blogs that really we're hoping to capture the broader perspectives around sustainability. But Todd, you've kicked us off with um, um, the motivation behind Down to Earth, the sustainability challenge and why we've started our journey together in the way that we have. So, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear a bit more um, from you, particularly given you, you mentioned a whole host of key sustainability challenges. So I'd love to know what's the sustainability challenge that you feel passionate about right now? Absolutely. So, of, of course, be, before I before I really answer that question, we, we must recognize that the real motivation um, for, for why we're here, why the Down to Earth Institute was founded, um, was to, to reveal and, and highlight and educate um, about the, the complex connections between all of the different sustainability challenges that exist. Um, so isolating one sustainability challenge out of them all is, is obviously, you know, it's it's not ideal because we must recognize that, that we can't just deal with an individual challenge we have to deal with them all at the same time that being said um from a from a personal perspective i think um populism um as a a sustainability challenge is is probably the the most important one for the time being why do i think that well we've we've seen in recent times that the populist figures like president bolsonaro in brazil um and and donald trump in the united states um are really setting back efforts to tackle climate change so obviously in the the short term that's a that's a huge problem um but populism we're also seeing is leading to huge increases in in the the kind of the divisive nature of politics we're seeing huge wedges driven between different parts of our society as i'll be covering in uh, in my blog post in a couple of weeks time um and we're seeing the the trust that our communities and the collective action is built on being really degraded um by by populist movements that seek to find scapegoats or or easy kind of soundbite type solutions uh, for the problems that we see in the world today so for me that's that's why populism i think has to be um the sustainability challenge um, of our time thanks for that todd uh yeah populism it's 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 one of those things that 
you know, it wouldn't have come to my mind initially when, when people talk sustainability challenges. I think I can't help but think of, of climate change uh, straight away. But but when we're actually talking about how we deal with not just climate change, but all those sustainability challenges that lie lie ahead of us, populism represents one one of those key barriers, an obstacle that that might stop us from from getting to where we want to go um, on a global level. So. Yes, I know. Absolutely. You're, you're absolutely right, Manfir. We I, I quite firmly believe that we have the tools uh, in most cases to deal with the sustainability challenges that are out there. The, the most important thing, I think, is that we start breaking down the obstacles to doing something about them. Exactly. And, you know, I'd, I'd like to hop off uh, something that you mentioned. You mentioned your time at uh, university in your blog post. Um, very briefly, but I'd love to know um, how's your time at university actually shaped your outlook on sustainability? So I think the the real benefit of, of university and and environments similar to, similar to university, where you're exposed to um, a, a huge range of kind of unfiltered, sometimes contrarian um, views that that don't necessarily line up with um, with what you believe to be true or, or what you've been kind of brought up to believe to be true. Um, I, th- I think that's that's been the real impact of, of university um, on on my my view, not only of, of sustainability, but of kind of global challenges aside from from questions of sustainability that we face. Great. Thank you. I mean, yeah, we've, we've both been to the University of Warwick, so perhaps my my experience is, is, is somewhat similar to yours. But um, yeah, I, I do feel the emphasis on interdisciplinarity is uh, is crucial and uh, that's something that I've I've really benefited from in terms of the way that that I try and think about these things too. So uh, I'm I'm glad I'm not alone in that sense. Absolutely, never alone, Manvi. We're all in this together. <laughs> and with that, we've come to an end of the first episode of Square One. If you've enjoyed listening to us, then give us a follow at DTE Institute on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you also want to help make sustainability accessible, then go to our website. That's www.downtoearth.institute and find out how you can get involved. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for our next episode.